Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am joined today by Jacob Rude. Jacob, it's been a it's been a rough week, but the Lakers play basketball on Friday. Are you ready? I think so. I think I'm ready to just get back into a normal schedule, normal kind of flow of things. Um, I think it was the right call to to postpone the game on Tuesday, but uh I don't know. I think I'm ready again. I I had a moment yesterday. I can't remember exactly what it was that Woj tweeted, but he tweeted something that was just kind of like a regular NBA like trade update piece, and it was like kind of nice to look at a Woj tweet and it not be about Kobe this week. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting how like the whole league has sort of been on hold from talking about basketball matters, even as all of these other teams have had to play games since Sunday. But, I mean, it almost feels like the Lakers have been in a holding pattern, right? Like, they haven't played since Saturday when LeBron passed Kobe for third all-time. And, I mean, I, I think it kind of has to be good for the team to just sort of get back to some element of normalcy. Yeah, and that I think that's the biggest thing that... um them getting back into practice. I know that they were and them getting together on Tuesday and whatnot is to just kind of not be within their own thoughts, kind of just kind of be back with a group and try to try to kind of force yourself back into the normal routine. Obviously it's never going to be the same, but um, to try to get back to some normalcy will be, uh, will be nice, but I, <laughs> I don't think to, I think uh, I guess tonight when you're listening to this I get uh, tonight's game I don't think it's going to be normal it's going to be it's going to be tough to watch. Yeah, I mean I'm just pulling up the schedule on ESPN and you know how they list like ticket prices. Um, oh yeah. It says tickets are as low as six hundred and thirty five dollars for this game, which I mean I know they were like approaching seventeen hundred dollars just to get into the door before that Clippers game was postponed on Tuesday, but. Like, I haven't been to LA Live or that downtown area since the accident happened on Sunday. Today's I'm going to be in downtown for the first – this is – we're recording on Thursday, so I'll be in downtown for the first time on Thursday. But I imagine just, like, there's going to be 50,000, 60,000 people just at least in downtown Los Angeles just to be in the vicinity of the Lakers, you know, just to sort of collectively try to grieve and move on. It'd be kind of interesting – I haven't been to LA Live, so I don't know how feasible it'd be. It'd be kind of cool to have the games on somewhere out there to to have the fans kind of all watch it together. Um, but yeah, that's <clears throat> I've I've seen a lot of pictures and I've, I've seen a lot of videos. It seems like a very kind of I guess cathartic place to be right now. Is that mm-hmm. LA Live kind of Staples Center area and. Um, I know Christian and Grant were there last night, and uh, I don't. It's I, some of the videos I've seen have been real fun, kind of uplifting videos. I think there was a mariachi band there last night. 
I think I yeah, saw a video of that. Minutes ago, there was a little orchestral group there last night. Yeah, and there was like I saw a video of some kid shooting into like this portable basketball goal and like the crowd like going crazy and then he shot again and made it again and they started chanting MVP and stuff and it's just stuff like that that um I'm glad that that area has kind of turned into to what it is cuz like I said it seems like a a place for everybody to just kind of be together and and grieve together and um remember him together because I mean like like we were talking about beforehand it just this has been just kind of a, a rough week it just seems like there's a fog over everything and uh hopefully that that area is, has helped people get out of that fog a little bit yeah I mean uh they've had Kobe and uh Gigi's spaces on the screens in LA Live I think since Sunday so I would hope, like what you suggested, that they have an opportunity to showcase the game on those screens just so everybody can kind of take part. Because obviously, Staples Center only seats, what, 18, 19,000. There's infinitely more people in the city who would love to be in that building to support the organization, to support, you know, Jeannie and Rob and everyone who's going through this. And, you know, it'd be nice if they could at least have some connection to that, you know, outside of the building. But, uh, yeah. You know, have to move mm-hmm. on and there's a still what a third of this season left to play I think it is going to be yeah it's going to be an absolute drag I think until the all-star break and then just kind of reset during that week and and kind of refocus but yeah it it just yeah it I can't imagine what these guys are gonna to have to go through to to get themselves back onto the court with so many games left and a lot of important games left still too. Right. Absolutely. Like um, I was at Clippers practice earlier today and uh, they were saying how it, it probably didn't make sense to have a game of that magnitude, you know, Lakers Clippers sort of an intra LA thing. So soon after the, you know, passing of Kobe and those eight others, but I mean, just because it's Portland doesn't mean it's any easier, right? Like, these are all important games for the Lakers. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone has had to speak publicly since the events on Sunday, but it's not going to be able to stay like that for very much longer. I know, like like you said, our All-Star game is coming up soon. That means LeBron James is an All-Star captain. He's going to have to be part of this TNT televised draft special and – as much fun as that was last year with him and Giannis when LeBron just, you know, overtly tampered for <laughs> half an hour, you know, picking every single upcoming free agent and people who could potentially get out of their contracts at a, you know, this off season. I, I just can't imagine that that special is going to have the same lightness that it did last year. You know, even if they try to make it about just this game, I mean, even, even the game has been sort of taken over by Kobe Bryant's memory, right? Like as the NBA announced today, They've made changes to the schedule. I mean, changes to the actual format of the All-Star game. So, I mean, I know a lot of people have complained about the competitiveness of it in recent years, even once they've added this captain and drafting format. But the NBA has changed it so that each quarter will be a separate, I don't know, game or mini game. And the winner of that mini game will be able to donate $100,000 to a charity of their choice within the Chicago area. and then. 
they're sort of adopting the Elam ending for the fourth quarter where they're going to add 24 points to the leading score after the third quarter. And then whichever team gets their first wins the fourth quarter, which I believe is an additional $300,000 for charity. So there's, you know, just another memory of Kobe Bryant in that game. So even if it is a time for the league, you know, to get together and try to cope, there's just, there's always going to be reminders of him. Yeah. And it's going to be, a unique feel to that weekend because this is all still so kind of fresh and it'll be so fresh and raw kind of even that weekend it's a couple weeks away um it'll be I'm, I'm glad that they changed the format at first I was kind of like this all seems a little extra like I like yeah. the Elam ending I was like this all kind of seems like you could have just had them wear the 24 and 8 jerseys like that's the idea I like the most and then but I mean, Harrison, I don't know if he tweeted it or if it was on our Slack, but he said the the kind of perfect kind of uh, tribute to Kobe is to make that game more competitive because mm-hmm. nobody took that game as seriously as, as Kobe did. I know I'd heard, I can't remember who said it or who wrote it. I've kind of consumed so much stuff the la- this last week, so many Kobe stories. But I remember at one point the other players that like, mention like dude you're you're taking this game so seriously like can you calm down this is this is just an all-star game but I mean that's the only way Kobe ever went it was always 100 percent so in, in in that regard I I do like that they're making it more competitive kind of breaking the uh the game into quarters will add a l- little more competitive competitiveness because even last year when or in recent years when they've uh, tried to change the format to make it more competitive, it really only ever got competitive in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. So to, so to change it this way, I guess the hope is that um, they'll compete hard to, to win that money for charity. Um, and then the fourth quarter will be kind of all out. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, – how the the players kind of treat this game now. Um, But like I said, I like the Elam ending and I like, it was a nice touch um, to add the, to have the 24 points um, for Kobe in the fourth quarter. Um, And yeah, I mean, overall making the game more competitive is a kind of a fun, I don't know if it was the intended tribute, but it is kind of a, at least a, a complimentary tribute to, to Kobe to, to make that all-star game more, uh, more competitive. Yeah. I think you're spot on the idea that Kobe clearly took this stuff more seriously <laughs> than any other all-star. And like you said, you know, the, the teams generally tend to turn it on in the fourth quarter when, you know, there's a game to be won, but the fact that they're creating four separate incentives means that they have to be competitive for the entirety of the game, which can only be a good thing. I mean, just for the NBA's product, first of all, but also because that's that's the way Kobe approached things, right? I've, everyone who has talked about him has said things about his drive and his intensity and how much every practice, every moment that he was on the court mattered. And to try to infuse some of that into the All-Star game, which granted does not have to take on this level of seriousness, is a nice, is a nice ode to Kobe. I mean, I do think the fourth quarter might end very soon because uh, it's yeah. for All-Star teams to hit 24 points. I mean, another appropriate tribute to Kobe might have been adding all three of his numbers, you know, 24, 8, and 33, and let's see how long it takes teams to get to that total. But 
maybe there'll be some some defense teams are trying, you know. I mean, I'm interested about the format. I like like you. I mean, I, I watched the tournament over the summer. I like the elam ending. I think it's in another circumstance. I think it'd be an interesting thing to add to the All Star game. It just I feel like there's ways to honor Kobe. You know, just like by wearing number eight for one team, number twenty four for the other team. Uh, I think Anthony Irwin was the first I heard to suggest this that they should just rename the All Star MVP trophy after Kobe mm-hmm. because he's won it four times, which is tied with Bob Pettit for the most of anyone in NBA history. So I think there were simpler ways to honor Kobe. uh, But, you know, I think Zach Lowe was talking about this earlier this week. Like Kobe always took big swings, right? Like the the news page thing and like that, that little snake on (laughs) television used to analyze basketball. This is kind of a big swing. I don't know if it's going to work, but there is an ambitious attempt. And I think that's a nice way of honoring his legacy and, I mean, as far as we know, like the, the players, they loved Kobe so, so much. So if this is done in his honor, then I have to imagine that they will take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's a part I hadn't thought about either that if this, that'll be interesting to see because I guess the best way to honor him that weekend is to take that game seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like you said, that fourth quarter, I don't think that fourth quarter is going to last very long because 24 points, I get the sentiment. I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, those all-star games usually like 200 points or what they're closing in on. Right? So, so 24 points uh, is going to be over real quick, but um, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see how the players react to it. I still think the renaming of the all-star MVP trophy um, – I think that's probably my favorite kind of tribute I've seen and probably the one that seems most realistic. I know a lot of people like the instant reaction was change the logo. Mm -hmm. That's too much. I think Um, I, and just various. Has never even acknowledged that it's actually Jerry West. (laughs) Yeah. We all, yeah. Also that, Um, but there, there's just been a couple other, suggestions that have just been a little too much um changing the all-star game mvp i don't is it named after anyone right now anyway i don't think so i think it's just the nba all-star game mvp so it's probably pretty easy to change i was trying to google real quick i don't remember them ever um no it's just called the nba all-star game most valuable player so I don't know that they'll do it this season, but that feels like kind of one of the easiest ways to uh, to honor him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think about like the moments that Kobe's had in All Star history. Like, obviously, his rookie season, he did the dunk contest, and it's it's generally regarded as one of the weaker dunk contests. <laughs> yeah, like uh, there's a joke that like you know Kobe broke the dunk contest and he didn't have it for two years afterwards. <laughs> um, but like I, I think about Kobe in the all-star games and like, I mean, he was like one of the stars who like consented to do events on all-star Saturday. Like he was in the skills challenge, you know, a few times. I think uh, he even did that shooting stars thing back when they used to have that event with retired legends and WNBA players. Um, and then obviously like on all-star Sunday during the actual game, like you said, he took it so much more seriously than the other players. Like, uh, there was that game where I think it was Michael Jordan's last all-star game and he had hit a game winner. And I was like, sort of like, Oh, this is like a perfect moment for Michael to go out on because 
you know, he hadn't been voted in as a starter, but I think Vince Carter let him start in his place just as a nod to Michael. And then he gets this moment where he gets to hit the game winner and then Kobe still <laughs> tries to tie the game and Jermaine O'Neal fouls him and he gets the free throws to send it in overtime. Everyone's like, why do you have to ruin this? <laughs> uh I also think I want to say might have been like oh it was either I was trying to look back I I can't remember the specific All Star games there was one where he made a couple like big defensive plays like whenever nobody else was trying and like he blocked LeBron and he blocked someone else like down the stretch right um I want to say it might have been oh nine I I think it was named MVP'd for the game I can't remember specifically which game it was but. Those are kind of the things I always uh, remember is basically him trying so much harder than everyone else. I remember the, again, I don't remember specifically what game it was, but uh, he got the ball on a fast break and LeBron was kind of sizing him up for a chase down block and Kobe just went up and just dunked it quicker than he could uh, (laughs) block it and then gave him a little pat on the butt as he turned around and went down court like, good try, bud. Those guys pats on the butt. It's just the ultimate condescension. I love what he did to Alvin Gentry. That's still one of my favorite like Kobe moments to hit a shot, to ice the game, to send the Suns home for the year in the Western Conference Finals, and then just pats the head coach on the butt with like a good try, maybe next year. Uh, yeah. I think uh, another one of my favorite All Star memories is like because he tried so hard, he kind of brought out that extra intensity in the other players at the end of the game. And there was that one year where Dwayne Wade like literally smacked his face and broke his nose at him. <laughs> and Kobe had to wear that mask for the next like few weeks of the Lakers season. And like that, those are actual consequential games that he had to play through with a facial injury because he had brought that level of intensity to the All-Star game. And I saw stories, I don't remember if they were recent or not this week about um, about that and like Wait, I want to say they played shortly after mm-hmm. um, the All-Star game. And, like, he was kind of scared going up to him after that. And Kobe was like – they, like, met up and Kobe was like uh, – yeah, here's a quote. It said, me and Kobe got into a little tussle in the All-Star game and I ended up hitting him wrong and breaking his nose. So after the break, we got the Lakers about three games after. I call him not maliciously. I didn't maliciously do it. I called him and said, yo, Kobe. And he was like, bro, I love it. so that was that's like a perfect summation of kobe like somebody took the all-star game so seriously it broke his nose and he's like finally somebody else cares about this game yeah i mean it's it's the type of uh you know fire and competitive drive that we don't necessarily see in that game but that's that's what kobe brought to every single game and you know like you said I, i hope that in his honor they try to bring some extra energy, some extra life to what is, I think, traditionally the worst part of All-Star Weekend. So, mm-hmm. And that's right. I'm kind of glad they made some changes just to do something, you know? I've always enjoyed it because it's a kind of a, basically a glorified ex- exhibition and just see guys mm-hmm. do ridiculous things. But, I mean, everybody's always wanted to see these guys go all out in these games, which I don't think will ever happen. But hopefully this not just the changes to the game, but kind of the circumstances around it. Hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be a little bit more of a, a little more fun, a little more competitive game this year. Right. So the Lakers take on Portland on Friday in their first game back since the accident. And 
if there was any team that Kobe really liked playing against, <laughs> Portland Trailblazers would have to be very high up on that list. Uh, Jacob, I think you said that Kobe's scoring average is the highest against Portland, higher than any other opponent in his career. Yeah, I, I looked before we started because um, I remember so many big games against Portland, and it uh, in sixty-two games he averaged twenty-seven point three points a game um, against them, which the on, it's the most. The only other two teams he averaged at least twenty-seven points against were Golden State, which I was a little surprised by because I don't remember too many big games against them. The other one makes a little more sense is the Toronto Raptors, which we did. I did some math after that. We were joking. If you take away the 81-point game, it drops all the way down to just over 25 points a game. But instead, the 81-point game's there, and he averaged 27 points a game uh, against them. But, yeah, he, for some reason, I don't know why, but he loved playing in Portland. Yeah, I mean, I guess back in the day, uh, was Portland like in the Pacific Division as well? So they were kind of division rivals, you know, back when winning the division actually guaranteed you a top two seed in the playoffs. So there was some, you know, necessary rivalry there, right? Like uh, these games actually mattered for the Lakers. Uh, but yeah, those are those are just regular season games we're talking about, right? That 27-point average? Uh, no, that uh, actually that might just be regular. It's just a splits page on career splits on Basketball Reference, so I'm not a hundred percent certain that doesn't include playoff. Oh wait, well I know it can't because I have the game log pulled up too, and he played 83 total games against Portland. So yeah, that's yeah. just regular season. Yeah, but that's a it's still a good number. I mean, uh, I I think about my favorite Kobe against Portland moments, and I think most people probably have a very similar favorite memory of Kobe against Portland. Uh, first title run for the Lakers during that three P game seven at home. The Lakers are down double digits heading into the fourth quarter. It looks like they might be blowing a three, one lead in this series, you know, failing to advance to the NBA finals. And then they go on that run in the fourth and it's capped by that lob from Kobe to Shaq and Shaq, you know, waves his arms in the air points to the bench as he's running back. Like that's the play that made me fall in love with the Lakers. And it's just very fitting that, Kobe was at the center of it. I tweeted this to uh, Pete Laker film room earlier this week. And I don't remember what his tweet was. And honestly, I don't remember why, but that just, uh, I think Bob Costas did the, was doing the play by play, but him just yelling Bryant to Shaq has just been like in my head all week. Um, Cause that ironically, one of them, my favorite Kobe memories is him passing the ball, but uh, <laughs> that uh, I I love that play so much and just what it meant. The one of the first things I haven't been able to really bring myself to watch a whole lot of highlights yet. Um, I watched ESPN when they replayed his his final game, which was brutal to watch, but. Um, one of the few I have been able to watch was that fourth quarter of that game. Um, Kobe hit some big shots in that fourth quarter too. Um, and, but yeah, that play, that moment to finally kind of get over the hump, um, even though they tried to, even after that, give the game away by missing a bunch of free throws. Um, they uh, just, what that moment meant. It was so awesome. I, I, that's one of my, probably 
short handful of favorite plays um, that involved Kobe. Yeah, it's interesting because like nowadays you think, oh, like a 13-point deficit, that that's nothing. But back in 2000 when I was watching this, I was like, oh, my God, this is like freaking insurmountable. Like, How are we going to come back from 15 points, you know, with just about 12 minutes left in the game? Uh, yeah, that's – Well, in like 15 points now is like a six-minute stretch. Right. Like the Blazers only scored 13 points in the whole fourth quarter of that game. And like there was o- the Lakers only scored 89 points. So like 15 points is a huge chunk of their, of how many points they had. So that was a pretty huge lead, but um, he had, he had like a huge block in that stretch too. Like he was all over the place. That's what like the fourth quarter is up on YouTube. If you guys haven't uh, been a- or haven't watched it yet, I would recommend it because that's one of my favorite, like just that fourth quarter. I wouldn't recommend watching the rest of that game because it was, it's rough to watch. (laughs) Yeah. But just watch that fourth quarter and Kobe's everywhere and he's making huge plays everywhere and on both ends of the court, um, shooting score or passing blocks, defending. Um, It helped that the Blazers went absolutely ice cold (laughs) in that the fourth quarter, they, uh, it doesn't, show on here they made four field goals five field goals in the fourth quarter um it's a big shout out to them they were five i'm trying to do math through 17 18 25 of 25 from the oh. field in the fourth quarter so big shout out to the blazers on that one right people say that the nba went through a rut during those years <laughs> <laughs> yeah that final score was 89 84 Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, one of the two best teams in the league, is just submitting a 5 for 25. <laughs> Dear boy. That's, that's worse than Kobe in Game 7 against Boston. That's worse than that. Um, one of my other ones. Yeah. One of my uh, other favorite Kobe-Portland memories. I mean, obviously there's the game he scored 65. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in the Hard middle time. of his... Yeah, in the middle of his 50-point game streak. And it had one of his, like, iconic shots. Uh, I wa- It was in the overtime, I believe, where he uh, caught it in the corner and got doubled and clock's running down, and he kind of jab steps and spins back across his body into the corner and just, like, throws up a three-pointer that um, nothing but net in the right. overtime. And... It's one of those plays that, like, doesn't look that difficult, but, like, anybody who's went on the basketball court and just tried to do anything remotely close to what he did, you would just get so disoriented that the ball would end up, like, in the fifth row of the bleachers. Um, And we were looking at that box score beforehand. Kobe had 65 points that game, uh, 23 of 39 shooting. Lamar Odom was next at 15 points, and Mo <laughs> Evans was the only other guy in double figures at 14 points. I mean, who even remembers that Mo Evans played for the Lakers? Like, that's... 100% did not. Kobe's 6-7 seasons are just, like, a testament to why he wanted to be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you saying that the likes of Smush Parker and Shaman Williams, or Shaman Williams, I'm not sure, Aaron McKee was on that team, apparently? Those aren't inspiring confidence to you. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna just put it straight. Those are not inspiring confidence to me. And uh, 
we I mean Sasha was on those teams, but as you pointed out, uh we might remember Sasha as being a little bit better than he was. Yeah, um, I realized that uh later with Jordan Farmer as well. I thought he was like a perfectly serviceable backup point guard, and then he got to the Clippers later in his career, and I was just like, God, what was what did I ever see? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think he was decent. It was he got hurt all the time, but yeah, that's true. uh yeah, I remember his he came when he came back to the Lakers. I was like, maybe I was just kind of romanticizing some of those Lakers teams, and I didn't realize how bad he may have been. Yeah, there's a there's another great Kobe against Portland moment. Again, this one's super popular. Uh, end of the 2004 regular season, uh, the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings are fighting for that division, and the Lakers need to win in Portland to secure the division. Otherwise, they fall to either the four or the five seed, which been a huge disaster for their playoff chances because then you got to win three series on the road just to get back to the finals and end of the end of regulation lakers down three ruben patterson you know the self-dubbed kobe, kobe stopper right draped over kobe Bryant. i feel like i use this word a lot when i'm talking about defenders <laughs> physically literally draped over kobe Bryant. there's no room for him to get a shot off and yet somehow he does he makes three and then he gets this unbelievable chance in overtime as well to get the three-pointer for the win. I mean, something about playing in the Rose Garden just uh, really brought out the best in Gobi. I, I refuse to call it the Moda Center now. It is it is. Oh, it's always, yeah, Rose it's Garden. always the Rose Garden. But he just had a knack for those daggers on the road, you know, and even when a team was playing just fantastic defense on him, the ultimate confidence – take those shots to be okay with the outcome and you know a good amount of the time actually getting the job done i think one of the things that those two shots showcase is like he was i mean and this is a testament to how many hours he put in the gym he could like get his shot off in so many different types of ways it wasn't like he had to be like if he was squared up and in this certain spot it went in like that Ruben Patterson three, he's like flat footed, has to like kind of step around him and like shoot this double pump, like falling to his right that he hits. And then like the game winner is just absolutely absurd. I have no idea how he got the shot off, how it wasn't blocked, how it didn't bring rain. And then it just falls straight through the net. Like nothing was normal about that either of those shots. And what's funny is like the second shot is like a much more reasonable shot than the first one. <laughs> space to get it off. You know, it's not just with a defender, like get it on. <laughs> I, uh, I have that box score pulled up. Kobe and Shaq were the top two scores for the Lakers that game. Do you want to take a guess who was third? I don't know. Devin George. That's a, that's a good guess, but no, it's, uh, Stanislav Medvedenko. Oh my God! At ten points. Yeah, Slava Medvedenko at ten points. For some reason, I don't remember if Karl Malone got hurt that game or what. He only played fifteen minutes. Medvedenko played forty minutes that night. What? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would imagine that's probably a career high. I don't. He was also took thirteen shot attempts that night. He only made three of them. Uh, also, I would imagine a career high. 
Um, I was trying to look real quick to see if that's his high for minutes played. I don't know why anybody else would play him 40 minutes. I don't know why the Lakers played him 40 minutes. Yeah, you build a super team, there are some death, depth concerns. <laughs> <laughs> he actually played 42 minutes earlier that season in a win. Oh, that man. oh my oh my lord that team Shaq was out Carl Malone was out that team started Kobe Gary Payton Devin George Horace Grant and Slava Medvedenko and won because Slava Medvedenko had twenty six points. You know he he gets the job done. That's that's what he did. Uh, I think you were mentioning another one of your favorite Kobe games against Portland was I want to say the one before he tore his Achilles in 2013, right? That's the other uh, game I was able to watch. I guess I was subconsciously just hating on the the Trailblazers. It wasn't on purpose, but <laughs> it was, yeah, the night before, or well, the game before, I don't think it was the night before, he uh, tore his Achilles. Um, but that team, I mean, we all remember how frustrating that 2012-13 season was. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the it's one. It, I think it's my favorite Kobe season because he just kind of that second half of the season was just like fine. I'll do it myself and just drug the team along. Um, he finished that game with forty-seven points, eight rebounds, five assists, four blocks, and three steals. And he got to the free throw line eighteen times. <laughs> yeah, eighteen of eighteen at the line. Played 48 minutes, which I believe he played 48 minutes the night before. He had that stretch right before the injury where, like, he just decided he also, yeah, he wasn't going to come out of the game anymore. Um, I remember he literally refused to be subbed out when Mike D'Antoni sent in a sub at some point. Um, Yeah, he played literally the full 48 minutes that game. Uh, two games prior, he played all but 40 seconds in a 14-point loss to the Clippers. He had two other games uh, that er, where he played at least 47 minutes. But, yeah, I mean, I want to say – I don't know that I'll be able to look it up right now, but there was only like a small handful of people who had accomplished that stat line that he did. Um because I mean he did everything that game and in that game like Dame was on fire and yeah that was rookie Dame Lillard and he was just unconscious uh he had like 15 or 17 points in the first quarter and but Kobe like matched him point for point and uh so mad at the Blazers that year because the first game we played against them, I think it was the first game of Dame's career, Steve Nash broke his leg. And it's just like, what did this kid do to Steve Nash? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he absolutely roasted the Lakers that season, both in terms of scoring and in other reasons, I guess. Uh, But yeah, that I remember being so frustrated watching that game because they came into the game, um, I think they were a half game up in the playoffs and they have, they're like having to um, obviously there's only I think three games left in the regular season before that game. And so they're in like literally must win territory and they come out and Dame's like on fire and it's like they can't afford to have this type of game and, and, 
Kobe just like wouldn't let them. And I think even with that ridiculous stat line, which I looked it up, the only other person with 47 points, eight rebounds, five assists, five steals, and four, or three, three steals and four blocks in a game is AD. Um, Wow. Yeah. Uh, A couple other did it without the three steals MJ, uh, T Mac, and Alvin Adams. Uh, in 1977. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, AD is the only other one to accomplish that stat line. Um, but my favorite play from that game had nothing to do with the scoring. It was he. There was a turnover, and I think the first half, and uh, Will Barton comes racing down court. A very young and spry Will Barton thinking he's about to posterize Kobe and Kobe went up, met him at the rim and just stuffed him. <laughs> and I, for a long time, I thought that just ended Will Barton's career until he became uh, back. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Until he became like a relevant role player on the nuggets. I did not realize that he had continued his career after that game. Cause I just assumed Kobe ended it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had such just great moments against every team in the league. I like I've seen those videos where they picked out Kobe game winners against you know as many as possible or like just the best Kobe dunks against every team. Or that he he ended up scoring was it forty points against every team in the league? I think yep. Utah was the last one he hadn't hit, and he got that you know on the final game of his career. Uh, but there was just something about those moments against Portland that really sticks out, and. I mean, I don't know if the Lakers are going to be ready to play tomorrow. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. I wouldn't be surprised if they came out with just a huge rush of emotion and then that died down, you know, towards the end of the game and they blew it late. I wouldn't be surprised if they went in a blowout or if the Blazers weren't ready to play. But it's so strange to think that with all this history that the Lakers have to go and play this game in a world where there's no more Kobe Bryant. Uh but that's that's where we are, I guess. <clears throat> they, uh, like I said, I I was happy that the the league um, postponed, postponed the yeah. Clippers game on Tuesday. I I do think, like in a, it would have been fitting to have the Clippers and Lakers be the kind of the first game back because, on top of it being LA versus LA, there's so many. Clippers guys that have such a connection to Kobe. Um, But this is still, there's still, I mean, we just spent half a podcast talking about so many Kobe Blazer memories. And then, I mean, there's guys on that Blazers team too that have a a connection to Kobe. I mean, Mello is one of the guys he's, yeah, Trevor Ariza too. Mello and Ariza both are two of the guys that he's, he was closest to, um, and I know Dame looked up to him. So, but I mean, I think the other big thing about this week was, and I know other podcasts have mentioned it, but it's amazing how many times he reached out to other players um, without, like, without telling anybody he did it, just getting their number, and especially guys when they would get hurt. Um, he would reach out to them and it didn't really, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was only star players like 
Jaleel Okafor um, changed his number from uh, number eight. And today he was talking to the media and even somebody like him, like he had that, he said he, uh, his rookie year in Philly, he'd had that incident in Boston where he got into a fight outside right. of a club. And he said, <clears throat> uh, Kobe came up to him and told him like not to worry about the outside noise. And uh, he said, he let me realize that everybody makes mistakes. And uh, I guess just talk to him for a while about that stuff. And like, nobody had ever mentioned that. Like nobody, Kobe didn't need to do that, but it's just stuff like that. And stories like that, that uh, it's unfortunate. It, it took this for it to happen, but it's been amazing to see how often he would reach out and not even just athletes. There's been stories about um, him visiting kids in the hospital and stuff like that and like demanding that there be no PR about it. And it's just stuff like that, that um, that's what I've enjoyed hearing the most and reading the most this past week. Right. I think, uh, you know, we put a nice cap on it. There's just no end to the amount of inspiration that he left for players in this league and for this organization. And, you know, there's, there's only so much time that, Unfortunately, they can be given to stay away from the public eye because they do have jobs to reform. There is an NBA season left to play. And for the Lakers, that continues tonight on Friday against one of Kobe's favorite opponents, the Portland Trail Blazers. So thank you, Jacob, for coming on the podcast today. And Mm -hmm. thank you all for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Silver Screen Roll podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be well.